Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we're talking to Guido Mercati. Guido is co-founder and CEO of Protein, devoted to fast-track the alternative protein industry from processed food to progress food via carbon-to-product microbial fermentation technology, while supporting a strategy, innovation, and digitalization as senior advisor and board member of various innovative and tech-driven ventures worldwide. He's been helping brands to benefit from the social enterprise era through connected experiences and purpose-driven business strategy and marketing in companies like Accenture, Publicis, WPP, as a lecturer and advisor at congresses, universities, and executive boards. Guido has a master graduate in textual semiotics on metaverse and hypermedial landscapes at the court of Professor Umberto Eco. And he considers himself a global nomad and a permanent learner with almost 20 years of multi-channel strategy experience across the broader EMEA and APEC regions. He's a member of Top Tier Impact with efforts focused on repurposing open innovation towards a sustainable triple bottom line, instigating change in industry bodies, contributing with seminars, keynotes, or roundtables. Guido, we are finally doing this. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Guys, I've been trying for so long. I don't even know. I don't know how to tell you that. <laughs> how long do you know that? It's been a long time. I think we try all throughout the, the second uh, part of 2022. And uh, we thought pandemic was difficult for, you know, communication and relationship. But I think traveling as well is not helping at times. So finally, finally, I'm so glad to be here. And thank you so much for the hospitality. It, it's a fantastic time. You know, and I, I'm pretty sure it was a very good reason. It was a good sign because so much happened and so many interesting things that he's going to share. And actually, it's going to be the first time for me as well. So usually, guys, I do this intro call with everybody that I talk to. So I kind of know what we're talking about. Uh, as much as I knew, uh, I know about Guido. So much happened, you know, between the time that he spoke and now that you're talking, that it's going to be new for me as well. So it's especially exciting today. So let's uh, start right at the beginning, right? Uh, Guido, so you're the co-founder of Protein. Protein. Um, it's a startup in the field of fermentation of edible proteins for food applications. Could you just tell us more about it? Like, what's it about? So I, I would start from uh, from the name itself, because yeah. uh, I think everything gets in there. You, you notice maybe that there is a, a, a small E um, yeah. The dash. So that E stands for energy or electricity. So mm -hmm. what we want to do is really to scale industrially a technology that has been known for many years uh, in the bioeconomy uh, technology sector. But now we are scaling it in continuous with a new proprietary technology together with our industrial partner, Solaris Biotechnology Donaldson Group. The E stands for electricity because the idea is to produce uh, syngas, so a combination of hydrogen and uh, capture CO2 or bioethanol or methane. And this combination of syngas, because we produce hydrogen mainly by our water hydrolysis, which is basically an energy intensive process, uh, the energy involved into the production of hydrogen will lead into this natural ingredient that we're gonna harvest uh, through bacteria fermentation. So basically the energy uh, or the electricity that is 
solar panels, uh, lead or biomass lead, uh, is producing food. And that's why protein wow. is an energy to protein and energy to nutrition kind of company. Uh, other way to define our business is uh, carbon to product or carbon to protein, if you like, in our specific uh, sector. So carbon capture, uh, carbon dioxide we capture from the atmosphere or flue gas, the waste gas can be introduced to feed uh, this microorganism that they use it as a, as a feedstock instead of glucose, mm -hmm. for instance. And they can, of course, uh, start a process of, uh, of uh, 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 producing in, in themselves um, this uh, um, micro uh, components, which are in all effects protein or amino acids. Uh, at one point, we stop the process, we start starving the bacteria, and we separate membrane walls and RNA from the rest of the entity of the microorganism, which is crude protein. So we obtain in the separation this amazing amount of 80% per dry mass of crude protein out of a bacteria, uh, just feeding them through capture CO2, so waste gas, and, uh, and basically this is happening in water, so it's a complete safe and clean process. So the magic is really to produce uh, uh, all of this in a very sustainable way using clean energy, and uh, I think uh, solar energy are becoming more available as a technology. Um, I'm speaking uh, to you from Dubai, and specifically the United Arab Emirates are making lots of efforts in uh, uh, producing alternative source of energy, uh, diversifying from the oil company uh, economy that they, they uh, envision so far, and they've been good at exploiting. Uh, so there is a vision for a net zero economy, a vision for renewable yeah. energy that is absolutely amazing here. Shamswan in Abu Dhabi, I think, is the largest solar farm in the world. And uh, taking advantage of this, we can produce clean energy and clean hydrogen that we call green hydrogen and use it in the process of producing food uh, um, out of basically thin air, if you want to say, because, you know, capture CO2 or other gases yeah. and water is really something magical that uh, that we are venturing into the next decades. That sounds absolutely amazing. Like, what, what's, what's the story behind that? Like, how long did it take you to get where you are today? And, and how, how did you come up with this idea? Like, what's the story? So uh, the interesting story is uh, that uh, we have a fantastic chief science officer, Dr. Jian Yu, um, professor at University of Hawaii. Uh, he has a strong background in, in fermentation and in other technology related to uh, uh, microengineering and fermentation. And uh, he worked uh, all his life on a number of, uh, of topics, and uh, he has a great uh, 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 H-index score as well. So uh, we are very, very happy and proud to have him on board. Um, the researches that he conducted, they were mainly in fermentation of microbes to produce uh, uh, polymers or biopolymers. So he has several commercial patents application in bioeconomy uh, solutions related to bioplastics. So this... Some bacteria, uh, with a similar process to the one that I just described, uh, can start producing biopolymers that are completely biodegradable thermoplastics in water and in soil. And he was using this large, massive bioreactors uh, for these commercial applications. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, he started 
focusing as well his work into uh, possible food application. Um, the, there is a company in California called Calista uh, that is, in, I think they're based in Menlo Park. They've been working on uh, application for fish farming or fish feed uh, with a similar technology to ours. Um, and uh, the solution was available to the, to the, to the public, how to ferment microorganisms, whether they are microalgae or my, micro mushrooms or, uh, or bacteria. Uh, what Dr. Yu really uh, came up with in the last five to six years, and then eventually improved in the last three years, it is a way to make it way more efficient through continuous fermentation. So we have just one bioreactor instead of two, and this bioreactor is extremely efficient, at least minimum threefold more efficient than the traditional in-batch uh, fermentation process. So in one bioreactor, we have the feeding and the harvesting without opening the vessel, the water of cultivation is in, in the vessel and continuously we can harvest the uh, single cell protein out of the bacteria and then we separate and filtrate, as I said, membrane wall RNA from the crude protein and we obtain our, our ingredient. Um, so the, the experimentation is uh, happening in lab and uh, with small bioreactors, you know, bench mm -hmm. size, so five to 15 liters. And now we, we sign an MOU with a fantastic Italian company. We're very proud to have the technology uh, and engineering made in Italy. The company is called Solaris Biotechnology, and uh, we proudly sign an MOU with them just after they got completely acquired by NASDAQ-listed Donaldson Group, which is a fantastic engineering uh, um, company. And um, uh, we're now scaling the design of the bioreactors to a larger size, which for us is 200 and 700 liters. That will be the final prototype, that will be the final product. And thanks to the efforts of Dr. Yu coming from a different field of bioeconomy, from bioplastics, now we have the solution adapted to, uh, to food application. Um, we have many use cases, but we decide for the, for the time being to concentrate on food application specifically for human consumption, because mm -hmm. we see the bottlenecks of the, the food value chain in, in the need of protein coming from a clean source avoiding all the bottlenecks of the plant-based solution that we we know they are not extremely efficient in terms of performance as you know plants they're not very nutritious or um, uh, amino acid intense you need many many plants protein yes to the full range of amino acid you need lots of quantity at times they're not digestible enough for, for, for many of us or not. And sometimes the, the, the whole chain is not like entirely clean, right? There's a lot of Absolutely. issues still, right? So to Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, we, yeah. and we risk the fact that the monocrop kind of uh, dilemma, right? We, yeah. we want pea and soy. And so we will have large multinational exploiting territories with pea and soy cultivation. Most of the time, these are GMO cultivation. We don't have long-term study to say that GMO cultivations are uh, you know, causing uh, damages to, to, to human health, but still uh, that's what we're doing. We are genetically modifying or editing the seeds and then, of course, in this large monoculture uh, cultivation, we use pesticides, we use a number of nasties that we don't want to see on our table on the final product. And regardless that the performance is not great in terms of nutritional value or digestibility score, Third point is the logistic of it. You know, in Brazil, yeah. you have lots of land. You have an amazing territory. I was lucky enough to, with protein we want through European Institute Technology and Futecab Latin America run by Paulo Silveira uh, and EAT run by Andy Zinger. Um, they, they basically offer us the possibility to explore a soft landing in South America. So I, I, I spent November uh, with Paulo and uh, traveling through Brazil and visiting many companies. 
JBC, BRF, uh, Cargill, and uh, I witnessed the capacity that you have of producing crops. At the same time, where I'm talking from in, in the UAE, we don't have agriculture in large uh, scalable possibilities. In fact, we're investing in hydroponic, aquaponic, aquaculture, different technologies. Yeah. But we don't match arable land. Uh, same thing in many regions in the world. Uh, at times you have very short seasonality, difficult to reach fresh water, difficult of having arable land. So the bottlenecks of you know, distributing the, the crop uh, derivatives and the plant-based protein from far away First of all, you know, logistically, it's an effort that will increase the cost. Secondly, uh, it is, uh, uh, you know, strange to aim to net zero economy or carbon negative uh, protein while, you know, you need to put on a, on a, on a, exactly, on a plane or a, on a ship. <laughs> this is not good. So yeah. uh, having a technology that can be adapted like ours in any single uh, portion of this uh, marvelous planet Earth that we live on, um, in a dark plant, so no need for energy because the fermentation is basically a bubbling vessel that doesn't need any energy at all. The only energy is uh, in the production of, of green hydrogen and eventually in the filtration of the separation if you need the dry powder. Mm -hmm. So you can have a small dark plant in the middle of the desert with solar panel and uh, uh, water coming from desalinized water from the ocean, so not even fresh water. And all of a sudden you can produce nutrition dense food that you need. That can happen in East Africa. Uh, we have several conversations with the Kenyan ecosystem um, in the UAE and in, in uh, a region that are not, you know, at their disposal. They don't have arable land or fresh water or any other natural resources. And I think this will make nutrition fairer, uh, will decrease the cost, will make the supply chain shorter and, uh, and certainly more nutrition, nutritionally valuable because our protein are uh, as nutrition in terms of BV as egg and beef. Uh, and they are super digestible, 0.99 digestibility score. So as a protein, they contain also more amino acid than meat in, in, in average. So around 54 grams of total amino acid per 100 grams of, of protein. Beef is around 53. Plants are extremely inferior. Yeah. So you have a very amino acid dense, nutritionally rich, super digestible and clean label and GMO free kind of ingredient that can be produced anywhere in the world with little natural resources exploited because the water is completely recyclable, by the way, and can be completely carbon negative. Because in all of this, I say it at last, but you know, it's probably point number one at times, depending on the conversation, but we utilize 1.8 kilo CO2 per kilo of single cell protein that we produce. So we remove from the atmosphere almost two kilo of CO2 every kilo of protein that we produce. Every protein on this planet is carbon positive. They they have some CO2 baggage yeah, that they yeah. can do. So we are solving that kind of uh, issue. Conceptually moving from offsetting CO2, so the typical cement factory that all of a sudden start planting mangroves or trees in South America, that's offsetting. You buy CO2 credits or CO2 point, but you're still polluting. What we want mm -hmm. to do is to go to the manufacturer and say, give me your CO2 for real. We yes. capture that. And we insert in a production line for alternative protein out of microbial fermentation. That's the idea. So inserting the CO2 emission instead of offsetting, which is an old concept that still is good for companies when they do the financial reports because they, they you know, they carbon credit balance sheet all of a sudden looks good, but uh, it's not solving any problem at all. So just so I can imagine this correctly, uh, when you're producing this protein, 
And yeah. I understand that it's edible and all the benefits, but how, how, how does it look like? How does it feel? Is it going to be, does it need to be mixed with something so people can eat? Or is it like, I can't even picture that. Is it a powder? Is it, how does yeah. it look so like? Imagine, imagine any, any kind of protein ingredients, you know, that comes from, uh, for instance, plant-based, they have this process called extrusion. So they take the plant and strong and powerful machines that have different ways to basically reduce them in, in micro powders. We can do the same. So our, mm -hmm. our protein ingredient comes in a powder, different uh -huh. granulometry, uh, can come in a slurry. So if you need it in a, in a drink or in a water-based solution, because for instance, you can think collagen water or, or protein water, yeah. uh, this kind of solution or juices or whatever liquid form you need. So you don't need to dry the powder. Otherwise, it's just a simple powder as any other ingredient you can imagine. So, okay. uh, if if you if you were uh, you know to tackle the um, the gym goers and the health seeker of this world, you probably would do the typical uh, tub in which you take a scoop of powder and you put it and you yeah. add it to any food. That would be the basic uh, possibility. Otherwise, food manufacturer would work with us on proof of concepts and they will brief us on which kind of protein performances and and characteristic they need uh, to do, I don't know, whatever, pasta or, or snacks or whatever is their final product. And in terms of nutritional value, digestibility, texturability and other properties, we will define the perfect ingredient for them. Uh, the main, main concept is to provide the industry with something magical. And this is, a, again, I start sounding like too good to be true. Uh, <laughs> and you, you can stop and question any of this, but our protein ingredients out of microbes it's flavorless, doesn't taste anything. And you can say, wow, that is good. That is good because 30% of costs in any recipe utilizing plant-based protein, whether it's pea or soy or whatever, it is in masking costs. So the manufacturer need to use 30% more cost or ingredients on an average to masquerade the flavor of the pea, for instance, you want to have a snack bar or, or a protein pasta, you use pea isolate as a, as a protein ingredient because it's very cheap, available and, and, and good in terms of your nutritional value, but then tastes like pea and nobody want, you know, yeah, yeah. in the pasta or, or, a, or a chocolate bar, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. So they need to masquerade this cost. When, when they work with us, we can offer something that all of a sudden simplify their job a lot and in the eye of the consumer will make this fantastic because you have a shorter label. So you don't have all these ingredients and additives that you need to add in the recipe because you want to masquerade the flavor yeah. of the plant-based protein. So this is a, a problem for me. Uh, and I, I advise for 20 years, multinational and companies in, in, in the FMCG business. And, you know, I think much of what the industry is doing, it, it is only because we can, instead of we're putting on the market something that consumer needs. There are many bad reviews about plant-based meat that are related to the fact that they consumer don't know what's in the recipe and they cannot read the label. And the industry keep on saying, yeah, we're bettering the product, it's okay, don't worry, it's healthy. And then, you know, start some studies comes up, nutritional advices start, you know, you know, being yeah. visible to public opinion and all of a sudden the industry is losing money and big companies that I, I won't mention start losing market share and value because all of a sudden consumers say, mm, let's wait a second. Uh, I, you know, th this 
looks more like dog food than, than real food. Uh, there is too much stuff going on. There is too many ingredients. I don't know what this is, what this is, what this is, why the industry is feeding me with ingredients that I have no clue what they're for and what the consequence of my health would be. So long label and clean label as a policy and GMO free are three of the major points that we think will allow us to move from processed food to progress food. We call progress food every novel food that would increase humanity, well-being and the prosperity of all of us on this planet. And I think this needs to be very clear and I will make myself an advocate for this in every possible context and, and, and it's something dear to my heart. I have two kids, I'm a father of two and I, I truly think that if you don't make this shift, um, you know, we're not making a good service to, to humanity as a whole. That's all amazing, Guido. And you know, I especially love the fact that you guys are working together with Brazil for the listeners that are not aware. So, you know, Future Hacker is a Brazilian company. And uh, can you tell us more about this experience? So what, which stage are you now? So I did learn that last year, you guys, uh, I need to read that, you guys uh, got this prize. You won a challenge hosted by EIT Food and Food Tech Hub Latam right yeah. and that's yes. how you got to come here to brazil if i understood it right so Absolutely. what what what's your stage now not only no about coming to brazil but what what's the the current protein stage what are the current challenges what are the next steps for you guys absolutely so a, a, a little bit about the brazilian experience because i i, I was very very proud to uh have won together with another um uh, EAT alumni uh, startups, Cellular Revolution uh, from UK, um, and uh, um, bye to Chris Green, by the way, it became a good friend of mine through this journey. And uh, I really need to thank Paulo Silveira and Dizinga uh, for um, you know putting together this opportunity, and and uh, we basically uh, explore a possibility of soft landing in South America, understanding better the the food tech and ag tech ecosystem uh, over there. Uh, and uh, we had the opportunity to really have a very intense journey in which we met private sector, um, like companies like Cargill, DRF, JVC, uh, Gibaudan. And uh, we also met entities uh, like Embrapa uh, or uh, Unicamp in Campinas, uh, University of Rio de Janeiro, to understand what's happening on the R&D and on the governmental uh, driven research side. And uh, we witnessed an amazingly progressive mindset. So first of all, you know, congrats to you guys because, uh, you know, Brazil seems like uh, the cradle of many food innovation to come. Uh, Unicamp uh, in Campinas, I think is top 10 food engineering faculty in the world. And there are only three non-Chinese universities. So you are together with Netherlands, US, and that's it. There's no other European university, for instance, no UK university. So you're leading and paving the way to to, to novelty. So we are uh, studying at, at this present stage, different MOUs with different entities. Uh, one is possibly with Unicamp, one is with Futacab Latin America, which through Paulo Silveira, they, they're gonna launch a tropical uh, institute uh, of food tech in Campinas uh, very soon, I think next June, and we will be there for the opening. And uh, I think that would be a fantastic space together with the uh, with the rest uh, of the uh, other facilities that you guys have 
um, to innovate in food technology on site in Brazil. You have the scale because you have the largest meat producer in the world, you have the largest uh, agricultural uh, uh, companies, uh, you have a very progressive, uh, particularly now with the new government uh, uh, mindset about uh, innovation, and um, you have an understanding of preserving all this through ESG risk adverse um, business mindset and also uh, net zero policies. Uh, you protect Amazonia, which is a heritage for all of us humans, but you have it. So you are in charge of taking care of it and you have an understanding of micro farmers and, and how you can really enhance um, the capacity of, of producing food in a more sustainable way, even for the people involved in the, in the industry. Uh, I just need to remind the audience that one third of the world uh, um, necessity for food production is really on the shoulder of 500 million people that lives basically under the soil, the threshold of poverty with $2 a family life budget, they yeah. produce one third of the food. Okay, this 500 millions of, of farms and specifically this is happening in Asia, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, but this is really important to mention that, you know, we think of food production like the big industry or the big multinational, but there is lots to protect as well in the in the uh, micro farmers environment and our technology with fermentation uh, farms that can be very small and very viable in terms of costs, uh, running costs and capex costs um, can be really discussed to uh, diversify the job possibilities for farmers around the world because with a little bit of water and some uh, machinery that can produce hydrogen and capture CO2 or methane. Um, if, if a farm, a small farm can really produce uh, uh, enough protein every year for a village. And, uh, and this is something very, very important to, to define as well. So Brazil is a fantastic uh, uh, land for us to understand what's next. And 2023 probably will see uh, some good news about uh, MOUs and, and R&D or POC project run there uh, and perhaps you know the birth of, uh, of protein uh, Latin America as well as an entity uh, if, if the market decide that we are an interesting solution enough to be scaled over there as well. That would be amazing so you know I can't wait to have you back on the show here to tell us you know how, how what happened next right M maybe in one year you're going to have many many new stories for us. Um, Guido you know when we talked back then you told me a couple of things that uh, just made me, you know, intrigued and I'd love to cover that. Uh, before, you know, we have this changing topics, uh, could you just let our listeners know, you know, if anyone's interested in knowing more about you guys or even partnering or, you know, just getting more educated about it, which would be the path? So for, for us to get in touch with us, you mean? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I think uh, these days uh, many things are, are happening on, on, on digital channels and, and digital communication. I can tell you that uh, for the first time in my career, uh, I, I truly experienced the connected world on, on, on an industry. Uh, LinkedIn uh, and, and all the other video platforms are really supporting us a lot in, in uh, expanding a business that is more um, 
diversified and, and, and distributed than before. So our company yeah. per se, Dr. Yu in Hawaii Island, I'm in Dubai, Guido for Alaska, my chief business officer is in, in Turin, Italy. We have a plant in Bologna. We have a partner in, in Mantova near Milan. Uh, there is lots going on and then we are all uh, uh, really separated physically, but very much united. So I would suggest everybody to go uh, check our LinkedIn page. And then you will see, uh, of course, uh, my my uh, personal uh, connection, uh, email and, and, and mobiles and WhatsApp and all the rest. So we can touch base there. Uh, it's always the most updated thing that we can um, we can have because um, we see the synergy with other companies and even governmental entities uh, on happening on LinkedIn as a, as the a first you know, a platform to go. Then uh, we have many conversations that are more topical on Twitter as well. So if you can follow our Twitter page as well and engage in whatever is the moment of discussion. In UAE, this is Sustainability, Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week and also Energy Summit and also Green Hydrogen Summit. So, uh, you know, the Twitter dome is exploding on these topics in, in the UAE where I am. I'm physically uh, at the Congress tomorrow as well. And of course, uh, COP28 coming to United Arab Emirates as well in November, yeah. that will pave the way for lots of conversation in the clean tech ecosystem. And for us, I always say this, every food tech business needs to be a clean tech business because uh, there's no way to revolutionize or change the value chain in food tech or ag tech if you are not also a clean technology. So you need to have clean technology. And we, with protein, we are at the really in, on that sweet spot of, of clean tech and ag tech. And we're very proud of uh, being participating to topics that really don't regard our ingredient per se. And in another e era, probably me as a CEO, I wouldn't be interested in understanding the supply chain of one of my raw material like hydrogen. But now for me is of essence that I buy green hydrogen that has zero impact on the, on the landscape because I'm doing all the efforts with my industrial process to be carbon negative and all of a sudden, if I create hydrogen out of carbon fossil fuel, I destroy my efforts on the rest of the tech. So I need to be interested in clean technology and in the origin and the footprint of not only my raw material, but also of the supply chain and the logistics of my clients. I want yeah. to create plants, industrial plants that they can put close to the logistics centers and not uh, so efficient enough and small enough they can have many instead of having a mega plant in Cincinnati. Yeah. And then from there, they need to ship the product everywhere yeah. and all of our efforts. So all of a sudden I need to be interested, like imagine a funnel. I'm in the middle and I'm a specialist of what I'm doing, you know, microbial fermentation in continuous. And then I need to talk with my suppliers of raw material. I need to talk to my clients to make sure that end to end, this is working and has a positive impact. That's great, Guido. So let's go to the questions then. Um, this is one of the things you told me. We are too focused on new technologies and we end up missing the simple solutions that come from nature itself. So basically perfecting, perfecting the environment so nature could do its job at the best. I absolutely love that. But you know, uh, how, like, can you give us some example that you've actually seen besides the guys, of course. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, a, a statement that at times we, we forget. The entire discussion yeah. of what we call bioeconomy, mm -hmm. it is important because all of a sudden we realize that the natural resources are finite 
and they are discrete and we have such an amount and, and that will be it. Um, so bioeconomy is actually a downsizing in terms of thinking and a regressive thinking that will lead us far ahead. So uh, bacteria, for instance, and fermentation in general, yeast, uh, mushroom, algae, fermentation is the oldest food technology that exists. You know, it goes back to ancient Egypt. We were already fermenting. Uh, Egyptian created, you know, out of fermentation of, of crops, uh, what we call modern beer, for instance, or how we make bread, uh, yogurt, kefir. Um, we use fermentation in so many different applications. Now we have the capacity of going back to the concept of fermenting, you know, microorganism and uh, scale the technology and perfecting the outcome in terms of efficiency, but still referring to nature, because the fact that a microorganism, a non-pathogenic bacteria that is not harmful for the human body, by the way, we have around 40 trillion of microorganisms in our body as we speak, 40 trillion constantly. And if you kill some of them with medicine or drugs, or you're not feeling very well, it's because this microbiome, it's reducing in size, which is an organ the size of our brain, more or less. So it's astonishing how many microorganisms we have in our body. We can think that our body is a shell that is owned and possessed and driven by microorganisms. And if you think like this, you know, it sounds scary like an alien movie or a sci-fi movie, <laughs> but it, it, it's, a, it's a very important concept to, to, to remember. And, uh, and also the emissions, like we have CO2, even pre-industrial level, you know, we didn't invent or create a CO2. We had CO2, you know, uh, plants are good at fixing CO2. Microbes are 10 times better than plants in fixing CO2. So this is another natural concept that once you understand and you refer to nature and our nature already is doing this better than any other machine, you understand the value of what you can do in the bioeconomy and in the bio-based ingredients technology. Uh, we don't edit our bacteria. We select the best bacteria to do the best job which is, again, leave the genetically modified field um, completely clean. We don't do that and we don't want to intervene in the DNA of the bacteria, but we select the best at doing the best. It's like natural selections and it's like what nature does best. Uh, if we think that we are better, you know, genetic engineers than, than, than nature, that is a little bit of a of a stretch, I think, of the imagination. We can do many things with with you know DNA editing. Uh, there are moral dilemmas about this on many fronts, um, like there are on AI these days. Um, we can have even have different political views about it, but I think the major point is when we understand that nature provides the best solution, and we just need to channel it and make it possible. Uh, we have something very big on, 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 on that we're sitting on. Um, so this is something that we, 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 we have to think about it more and more. And I think the next few generations will, will embrace the bioeconomy possibilities better than we never did before. Uh, at times, you know, economical interest came um, along the way in stopping the process. We had electric cars before uh, combustion engines. Okay, as a technology that was available before we use oil. All of a sudden, uh, we discovered oil was much easier, more convenient. There were economical interests that exploit that better than you know producing batteries or other form of of uh, electric energy storage, and we went that way. 
but uh, we had a solution that was more prone to be, you know, resilient and, and, and good on us and we drop it and we did something else. So now we have a massive opportunity on not forgetting that nature is providing us the good means to thrive and uh, it's up to us to endure in this process and, and be consistent. That's absolutely, you know, what, what I love about you is that uh, you're doing, you work on complex things that you're able to communicate in a way that I think everybody can understand and you're always so uplifting, you know, and positive. And, and my last question to you is going to be in this direction. So you told me back then that you believe that in one generation, in one generation, our current issues of diseases and hunger will no longer exist. And that people will start acting as a hive. And as much as I loved it, I found it extremely optimistic. I do have a hard time to believe so what drives you to think something that important and that that big could happen so soon? I think um, I'm generally an optimist, uh, if I have to say. I, I believe that uh, oh, we humans, we have immense capabilities of connecting with the, uh, with the good, uh, with the good will and with a good capacity. Um, you know, many travels that I did throughout my, my life, uh, I felt uh, in several instances connected to humanity in, in invisible ways, you know. Uh, and I think uh, humanity acts as an hive because uh, we have a collective intelligence that is operating. You know, I believe in the power of ideas and when ideas started circulating, they're very difficult to be stopped if they're powerful and they are, if they are inherently uh, productive for us. It's very difficult to kill an idea that has absolutely positive consequences. So uh, the attention that we have now on sustainable growth of humanity and this shift that we made, understanding that GDP's growth is not the only growth, but we have a, a growth of many levels, whether spiritual or, or, or physical, uh, to be considered. I think the newer generation are going to apply this massive change. So in a generation, you know, I, I'm part of Gen X. I'm a 1979 class, so 43, about to be 44. Uh, my kids are nine and six. And I think the generation already in, in between us is making, you know, giant leaps into bringing the bioeconomy into reality, bringing climate tech solution as the only solution, reducing consumption, avoiding wastage, and uh, being extremely conscious about the fact that we have only one planet. And for the time being, we are not an interstellar species yet. So we need to, we need to deal with what we have. And we will bring, I think, this mindset to several um, possibilities, even beyond, you know, living on this planet in, in, the, in the next uh, future. So it's a mindset of, you know, believing that we really act as a beehive in a way that uh, we know what's good for us. We can ignore it for a while. There, there would be some interest group that would try to lobby for alternative solution because they have a short-term vision. But I'm speaking from a country that had 20 years ago, let's say one generation ago, an oil-based economy. And now this is not the center of the industrial ecosystem anymore. The, the people that could rely on oil-based economy already made the shift one generation ago. 
And this is incredible to me. And I, I breathe and, and, and uh, with my uh, Arab friends in the United Arab Emirates in Saudi Arabia, I breathe this renaissance and this idea of we can move forward from things that we are already enjoying, but we know that, you know, they're not the best possible outcome. And if, if, if you realize it when you are in a strong position, uh, imagine if, uh, if, you, if you can realize it when you have a crisis, like uh, we are experiencing in Europe, for instance, with the energy crisis due to the war. And uh, when I saw countries like Italy and Germany open um, coal mines, um, mm. respond to the energy crisis, I really felt upset with the short-term governmental visions, okay? Because we have possibilities of revolutionizing clean energy solution and alternative sustainable forms of energy and industrial growth without resorting to the old game and uh, there's no excuses for this so i think that people are more prone to adapt to this new ecosystem and new ideas than the politician that they have a short-term vision by definition because they have an, act, an election every every fixed term so every three four five years they will change so they spectrum of choices it's very very reduced so I don't believe in political agendas when they have such a short-term vision because they they KPIs would be wrong, would be mm -hmm. all messed. Wrong incentives, yeah. right? Yeah, wrong incentive, wrong uh, a time frame. So if the time frame is three years, how can you make strong decisions that will impact two, two generations forward? Mm -hmm. So politicians per se, they're making the wrong choices by definition all of the time. But leadership in a country, people the society, we are here on this planet for many decades and we know what's good uh, today and in 20 years and in 100 years. And I think we are all uh, we're all convinced uh, that, you know, we need to support each other. There's no geography anymore. There's no uh, social class anymore that can distinguish, you know, one from another. We are really a hive and a collective and this is impacting already positively many of us in many directions. You know, we are all very careful about what we eat, how we travel. And we do it because, you know, nobody's obliging us. You know, there's no carbon tax on you taking a plane, but you think twice. Um, you know, then when, like in France happened, you know, uh, domestic flights are abolished and they oblige to, uh, they force you to take a train. I think that's a great thing. It's a very enlightened government that does such a, um, you know, uh, regulatory effort. Uh, but I think we all know they come when we all know. You know, nobody take a plane from, from Paris to Lyon unless you're really an inherently bad person. Like, you don't do that. Uh, you don't do that. Uh, and, and this is something that, you know, as humanity, we, we have it in our heart and in our brain, and uh, it, it's coming out. Many people are converting to plant-based uh, diet, but they're also understanding the limitation of it. Many of us are attentive to don't use single plastic or waste plastics before the single-use plastic legislation comes in, in effect. So we are always more advanced than the yeah. government, right? Yeah. So that's why we act as a BI. We don't need regulation and we don't need um, uh, someone from top telling us what to do. We just look around and we see, okay, uh, is this really the way I want to want to live for myself, for my community, for my family? And um, I think this is going to be more and more evident in the next few, few years. And uh, the next generation will change everything. And I already see many startup founders or executives in multinational of an age between 30 to 35 making all the right choices and uh, i'm very very proud and very very happy about this that's wonderful guido thank you so much for being here with us today thank you, i'm cheering for you and you know i can't wait 
you know, let's wait a couple of months. I'm pretty sure you're going to have many, many stories to tell us. I do hope that, you know, we, you can come back here to tell us everything that's new. I'm wishing you, you, I'm wishing you the best. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Maria. Thanks for having me here. Uh, a big uh, abrazo to, to all the Brazilian uh, <laughs> uh, followers and uh, hope to see your country again very, very soon as well. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.